Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. This morning, I want to start with this. You know, a lot of you know that I'm a pastor's kid, in fact... He's here somewhere at the back. But I never minded being a PK. I I never minded that at all. In fact, I took a lot of pride in helping my parents live out their mission. But one thing that comes with the territory of growing up in a pastor's family is the reality that many times you end up moving to a new city, starting again in a new church, new school with new friends. My parents made the move from Barrie to Bright's Grove, just outside of Sarnia when I was about to start grade five. And the first few days were a little awkward as it took me a while to make some friends and get used to my new teacher in a brand new school. But about a week into my time at Bright's Grove, something happened that completely changed my perspective on my surroundings. I came back into class after recess, which to this day still seems like the greatest idea in the world. Don't you think it would be a better place if we all had recess every single day? It would be awesome, right? Anyways, I came back into class, and on my desk was a piece of paper. It was folded intricately, decorated carefully and beautifully, and oddly enough, it was addressed to me. For Mark, it said. And I knew that there had been nothing there when I went out for recess, and yet, there it was. I was bewildered. I had no idea why it was there. I looked to the left, I looked to the right, to see if anyone had noticed And I carefully and cautiously opened the note under my desk so no one else could see. I peeked at the note's contents, and I was stunned to read the following words. It said this. It said, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And I'm, I'm, I'm gathering from this that maybe some of you got the same note. Well, it turns out I recognized the girl's name at the bottom of the note as a cute girl that sat a couple rows in front of me in my class, and I was awestruck. The world had completely changed in a moment, and that was the first moment I remember having a love life. Okay, so you're probably squirming a little bit, sitting in your seat, trying to imagine the possible sermon subject that I might result from an opening like that. And honestly, I'm not going to let you off the hook just yet. I'm going to hit you with what could possibly be one of the most awkward opening questions of all time for a sermon. You ready? How's your love life? Okay, relax. It's not that kind of talk. We'll save that for later. We're not going to talk about your romantic relationships today. I'm asking about your love life because I want to know what a life evidencing love looks like in 2018. What's it mean to have a life characterized by love? What should a Christian's life of love look like? And finally, in a culture where so many people respect Jesus as a fine teacher, he's a good role model, why do so many people say they they like Jesus, but they don't like the Christians that follow him? Could there be a problem with our love life? Now, if you've been here over the past three to four months, you know that we've been talking extensively about reestablishing our connection with our local community. We took a hard look at our love life with Wilmot, and we realized it wasn't where it should be. 
we could be doing more to build that relationship. And that's why we're just about to head into our first ever four Wilmot week. And I hope, I hope that you get involved. I hope that you trust God in an area and be faithful as he calls you. We want to use this time to tangibly demonstrate our love for the community by putting their needs ahead of our own. We want to be a church that takes our love life seriously. And I hope you and your family will find a way to be part of that movement. But today, today, before we head out as a church into the community, I wanted to give you a moment to examine your own love life by looking at the example of the one who loves us the very most. If you've got your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, turn to John 13, 1 to 17. Now, I'm going to give you a second to find it. And while you're doing that, I'm going to remind you that the book of John is in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels that provide an eyewitness account of Jesus' life and his ministry. The Gospel is written by the Apostle John, who described himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. It's known as the Gospel of Belief. Because it makes an impassioned case for Jesus as the Son of God. So imagine, we're about to read from what could possibly have been Jesus' best friend on earth. His account. Now I have a friend of mine who's a pastor. He's been really influential in my life. His name is Steve Jones. He's a a pastor in the States. And he has this, this habit of when he preaches, he has the people stand while he reads the gospel passage. And he, just, he says he does it to make sure people understand when God's speaking and when he's speaking that there's a difference. So I'm going to have you stand up right now. We need a bit of a stretch anyways. So we're going to stand as we read the passage from John. This is John 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, would you take this word that we're sharing this morning, and would you help us to receive it? Give us the capacity to take it in and to apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated. 
Have you ever heard of the concept of a parable? You probably have. There's many of them in the Gospels. You might remember a few of them, like the, the parable of the sower, or the faithful servant, or the fig tree. But one of the most significant teaching methods Jesus used during his ministry was the parable. The parable was a story that depicted a spiritual truth through a comparison or an illustration based on human life or nature. But this morning, I want you to consider that maybe Jesus was using a similar technique in this passage that we just read. In this moment, as Jesus dealt with the disciples, his demonstration became an active parable, a hands-on parable, an illustration of a truth in real life before his disciples' eyes. Jesus knew that he was going to have to leave his mission in the hands of these men after his death, and it was pivotal that they got it. They needed to understand the message. So to fully understand the truth Jesus demonstrated in the passage, we need to pay attention as well to the significance of his action and how they were part of his love life. So first, a little background. In John's time, it was customary that when a guest would enter a home, of, of uh, the servant of the household would come and he would wash the feet of the guest. This would remove the dust that had accumulated on the feet and the sandals during their travels. And now as important as the task may be, you need to know, this was the lowest of the low in terms of tasks. Completely, extremely menial. In fact, if no servant were present, then sometimes the children of the household would be forced to do the task. It was not socially acceptable for anyone of any status whatsoever to be seen administering this service to anyone. But this time, when the disciples met with Jesus, it's possible that because Jesus' arrest was imminent, it had to be a secret meeting. It had to be in a rented room where no servant would be present. So enter the disciples. Their feet are dirty. They're sweaty. They're reclining at couches around tables, and they're waiting to hear what Jesus would say. None of them willing, though, to perform the customary foot washing of the others, because that might show weakness or admit inferiority to the other disciples. Remember, if you look in Mark, just a few chapters earlier, the same group of disciples, Jesus had caught them arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And this is where, when we return to our text in verse 3 of John 13, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. The key in the verse is one small word, two letters. So. Jesus was fully aware of his position in this power, and it's because of this awareness that Jesus made himself a servant. Think about it. Scott Peck, a noted author, once said this. He said, Before that moment, the whole point of things had been for someone to get to the top. And once you got to the top, stay on top or else attempt to keep climbing farther up. But here, this man, already on top, he was rabbi, teacher, master. Suddenly he got down to the bottom and began to wash the feet of his followers. And in that one act, Jesus symbolically overturned the whole social order. And hardly comprehending what was happening, even his own disciples were horrified by his behavior. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the master teacher at work. He was showing them something in a powerful way, in a way that they thought they'd never forget, in a way we'd still be talking about 2,000 years later, and here we are. His purposeful and selfless act became an active parable for the disciples to watch and wonder at. What was the lesson? Was it a lesson in humility? 
Was it a visible, a visible demonstration of this new kingdom order that he was promising? Was it about service? Probably all of these things. But verse 12 to 17 picks up the story and really brings the story to a point. Jesus reminds the disciples that having been washed by him, that they should in turn wash each other's feet. He makes sure they understand that his demonstration was the example to be followed. He's saying to them, and to us too, there's no task too low in stature or too menial for people that have the same love life as Jesus. We should serve each other in our community in humility, recognizing our own dependency on Christ and discarding the worldview that despises weakness. Was Jesus saying we should literally wash each other's, each other's dirty feet? Probably not, which I'm grateful for because I don't really like feet. But this image of Jesus, the King of Kings, God of the universe, carrying out this sort of selfless love life should be one that sticks with us, affecting everything that we do and say for everyone around us. Now, just in case you think I'm overstating the symbolic significance of this act by Jesus, look further ahead. Look to John 13 later on, past the part we just read, and you'll see that once again, Jesus doubles back. He does not want them to miss that. He doubles back to the point about his demonstration, and he goes out of his way to make sure the disciples understood what he meant. John 13, verse 34 and 35 says this. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is a really, really big deal. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he had said that the entirety of his commands of the Old Testament hung on two ideas. He said that people were to love God with their whole being, and also he said to love your neighbor the same way as they love themselves. But here in John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus isn't pulling any punches. And now he ups the ante. It's getting close to the end, and he knows he'll be leaving his ministry in the hands of the disciples. He wants to make sure they absolutely understand what it means to live out his mission. So he tells them there's just one thing they need to do. One thing they need to do. But this one thing is incredibly demanding. They need to love in the same way as they were loved by Jesus. In one short statement, Jesus raises the bar of our love life for the disciples and for us today, calling us to love in the same way that he loves us. Now skip ahead to John 15, two chapters later. Jesus is still addressing the disciples, and again, Jesus repeats his point one more time. He's repeating it for emphasis because he knows it's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson for us today. He knows it goes against everything that's in us that wants to look out for ourselves. He knows that we want to be first, He knows that many of us want to be noticed. We want to be admired. He knows that we like to be praised. He knows that we want to be respected. The disciples did. And so do we, if we're honest. And here's what he says, John 15, 12 to 14. He said, my command, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Again, It's love each other, not even as you would yourself, but as I have loved you. This is what the Jesus love life looks like. 
Jesus is, is reminding the disciples, remember how I just took on the role of the servant. Remember the number of times I've loved you even when you doubted me. Remember when you didn't understand me, when you wanted to leave me. He's reminding me, he's reminding them and me that he loved them anyway, and now he's telling them to do the same for others. But this time he's adding something new. He points ahead to his coming death on the cross as the ultimate act of a life of love. His death for them and for you and for I was the final act of his love life. He reminds them that if they are his friends, they will love in the same way he loved. And I'm sure, I'm sure that just a few days later, his words would have been ringing in their ears after his death. Love each other as I have, in the same way as I have loved you. This is the Jesus model for a good love life. It's a life surrendered to God where we pour out our lives for those around us, including those who love us, and especially those who don't. We love like Jesus when we put others ahead of ourselves, and we don't do anything at another person's expense. If we're really honest, doesn't that seem quite a bit different than the way we normally love? Doesn't it? Don't we really tend to love people that love us back? Don't we tend to love people that give us something that make us feel good? Don't we tend to mostly love when it's convenient, when it's inexpensive, and when we can fit it into our schedules? But that's not the kind of love that Jesus was talking about. That's not the kind of love life Jesus was talking about. Now maybe you're skeptical, maybe you're thinking I'm taking this too far. Jesus wasn't really calling us to his standard for our own love lives. That's okay. You're allowed. I want you to be skeptical. I want you to test everything before you simply take it at face value. But this isn't the only spot in the New Testament where the standard is mentioned. The Apostle Paul, later on we heard about him, and that was amazing about Malta. It's incredible how scripture stands up like that. The Apostle Paul unpacks this further for us in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 5, 6 it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now Paul refers to circumcision to represent religion or rule keeping or some of those things that we do that we think somehow might impress God. That somehow put us in a club. But he basically says, Paul says in this passage that those things don't prove anything to God. He basically says, he points to the Jesus model and says, it's what we do in love that really shows that we're united with Jesus. Deep faith in Christ manifests itself in sincere love for those God brings into our path. God is indeed concerned about our love life because it reflects our love for him. So I'm asking you this morning, how's your love life? I want you to remember this morning that our love for God is demonstrated in the way that we love others. Say that again. Our love for God is demonstrated in the way we love others. Note that I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we're saved because of the way we love others. We know that's only through faith in Jesus Christ. But we do demonstrate our love for God by the way we show love for those that God has put in front of us. You can't treat people badly and still have a healthy relationship with God. You can't have a great relationship with God and mistreat his kids. 
Imagine how difficult it would be for you and I to have a great and healthy relationship if you constantly mistreated Joel and Matt and Ben. Those are my three boys. It wouldn't work. I'm telling you right now. It wouldn't work. It doesn't work with me. It wouldn't work with God. Jesus said it doesn't line up. Our love for God is demonstrated in the way we love others. So I'm asking again, how's your love life? How's your mic? It's good now. Now, if you're like me, this thought makes you stop in your tracks. I find myself doing a quick relational inventory, and I realize I've got a long, long way to go before I could honestly say that I'm loving like Jesus. But I don't want to leave you stuck there. I want to give you three things, three attributes that Jesus displayed that we can start to emulate and pray about that might allow you to start working on your love life so it looks more like Jesus. Here's the first one. Love selflessly. Now, loving selflessly simply means that you think about yourself less. That makes sense? Loving selflessly simply means thinking about yourself less. Jesus wasn't concerned about his status. He wasn't concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about being recognized for his actions. He met the needs of those around him, and he gave up his rights to look out for himself. Loving selflessly makes you think about yourself less. Find ways. This week, next week, this month, next month. Find ways to serve those people around you without the need to be acknowledged or complimented. Find ways to deliberately put others ahead of yourself. It takes discipline. Two weeks ago, Mona Watson invited us to zoom out and see beyond ourselves. Now I'm calling you to act. Look for practical ways to be humble and supportive in a task without clamoring for attention. For Wilma is a great way to start. Jesus loves selflessly and he invites us to do the same. Ask the Holy Spirit this week to teach you in this area, to lead you to someone, to some place to serve. What would happen if we all loved selflessly? What if you befriended the student at school that everyone else made fun of that no one ever sits with? What would happen if you volunteered to do the task at work, at home, with your friends that no one else wanted to do? Loving selflessly is loving as Jesus loved us and thinking about ourselves less. So love selflessly. Number two. After loving selflessly, I think Jesus' example tells us to love sacrificially. When When Jesus loved, it came at a cost. He loved his disciples even though he knew some would doubt, some would run away, some would betray. They wouldn't always love him back. And Jesus knew that they would fail him, but he loved them anyways. And that's a costly kind of love. Jesus loved his disciples and everyone throughout his whole death and resurrection story, even though it cost him his life. He knew the cost, he paid it willingly because of his love for us. What about you? What would it look like for you to love sacrificially? Perhaps you could love someone with a financial gift. Loving someone with a financial gift, though, that really stretched your faith in God to provide for your own needs. That's sacrificial love. Maybe you could share your time in such a way that your sacrifice meant that others got a chance to be introduced to Jesus, even though it meant you had to give up an activity that week that you really look forward to. That's sacrificial love. Maybe you need to be prepared to sacrifice a dream or a desire as God leads you. Something you have to lay down. 
Maybe you simply have to be willing to love someone that won't love you back. A coworker gives you a hard time, and you have to give up the right to be angry at them. Love sacrificially. It's costly, but it's what it means to love as Jesus loved us. The third way. The last way we love is to love strategically. Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples as a means to teach and encourage them to be better and to love him more deeply. When he washed their feet, that was certainly an act of love for his disciples, but it was also a teaching opportunity, a chance to point to the nature and character of God, where we purposefully demonstrated the character and calling of God in tangible ways so that, see, or God, or so that people could see God more clearly. That's the kind of strategic love we're talking about. What would happen if you purposefully cultivated a relationship with others, even though you knew you weren't going to get much back in return? What would happen if you stepped into your community, committed to showing the love of God and to breaking down misunderstandings about hypocrisy and legalism of Christians, and instead pointed to Jesus and his love? What if you strategically wore a blue t-shirt this week? Loving strategically means looking for those that need to see Jesus' love in action, And then being smart, being intentional about living it out in front of them. Loving strategically is loving as Jesus loved us. Coming to the end. Andy Stanley says that following Jesus is an invitation to leave the idea that it's all about you and instead embrace the you beside you. Did you get that? It's an invitation to leave the idea that somehow this life is all about you and instead embrace the you beside you beside you who's the you beside you i bet you're thinking about that person right now i bet the holy spirit's already speaking to you about the you beside you i'm praying that the holy spirit is putting someone on your heart that you could love selflessly love sacrificially and love strategically but do not hear me say that this is going to be easy this kind of love involves dying to self every single day It grates against all your impulses. But we have the Holy Spirit. Be honest with him. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to empower you. Ask him to equip you. Now, how is God calling you to love as he loved? At the beginning of the service, I told you my little story about my little note. A little bit of self-disclosure there. And the beginning of the awareness of my own love life. But I think it's bigger than that. I think Jesus has written you a note today. He's put your name on it. He's wrapped it up tight. He placed it on your desk so you'd find it. And here's what it says. It says, I love you. Do you love me? Will you love others as I have loved you? Check yes or no. You stand together as we pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your example to us. We're so, exam- we're so pleased, Lord, for the fact that you went first, that you demonstrated these things, left us a record. And so this morning, Lord, we open the note that you've given us. And it's a hard note. But at the same time, Lord, we realize that you go with us in this whole journey by your Holy Spirit. 
And so I ask this week, Lord, that as, that as we step into Fort Wilmot, that this would be a precious time of your presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that we'd sense your leading and your direction and your spirit and your strength as we step out in faith to love as you loved. God, would you go before us, go before the conversations we're going to have, go before the demonstrations and make a way as only you can. Lord, would you give us wisdom to know how to love selflessly, how to love sacrificially, and how to love strategically this week, next week. And Lord, we trust you for the results. We don't have to manufacture them. We just simply have to be obedient. Would you help us to do that? Would you remind us? Would you help us to remind each other? And Lord, we promise to give you the praise and the glory because your sacrifice, your selfless act, still made a way for us even today. So we thank you for who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as you go out, I want to commission you to go in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't forget to hashtag and all those fun things, but don't forget to go in the power of the Spirit. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.